Matthew chapter 13. Let me begin by simply reading the portion that will be that will serve as our text for this morning. Begin reading at verse three and read through verse nine, and then we'll skip over to verse eighteen. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, "Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some." Seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he spoke those words to the multitudes. He turns now to the disciples. He turns to those whose eyes are blessed, whose ears are blessed, those who see, those who hear. And so in verse 18, he says, therefore, because you have eyes, because you have ears, because you are blessed, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who Receive seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty some 30. As Jesus continues in his earthly ministry in the region of Galilee, we have seen increased resistance to his message, to himself. His disciples are seeing this, especially from the religious leaders of the Jews. The crowds are still following, but they're being influenced that he continues to reveal himself by the power of the Spirit, as we have noticed, to be, to be the Son of God, come down from heaven to fulfill all the law and the prophets, to save his people from their sins. But the message of the kingdom of heaven that he preached and that he sent his disciples forth to preach was boldly rejected by the religious elite 
who had sufficient biblical and practical evidence to acknowledge that he was the promised Messiah. They knew the scriptures. They could see that what was unfolding before them lined up with what the Old Testament prophets said, but they were blind. They were deaf. And in their blindness in their, and in their deafness, they rejected, they refused Jesus. They refused the message. Therefore, what was given to them was taken away, as we've seen. But Jesus had gathered true followers, true disciples around him. And that's what really we're focused on here this morning. The words that he gave to them. Those who had ears that could hear and who needed to be instructed in matters pertaining to his kingdom. Because they were going to live on and they they were going to live on in the unfolding of this kingdom. But they needed some clear instruction lest they stumble, lest they fall, lest they have false expectation, really. And you remember, even after his resurrection, he gathered them for 40 days. And what did he do? He taught them things pertaining to the kingdom. So while the parables of chapter 13 conceal the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to the hardened Jews, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. They open up truth to those with ears to hear. So Jesus is describing the advancement of the kingdom of heaven between his first and second coming. And it's quite remarkable if you think of it that way. I mean, this is a kingdom. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of God that is being established and that is being advanced, that is being built between the first and the second Coming. And as Zechariah and other Old Testament prophets said, remind us, it's not by might, nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Not by sword. Put your sword away. Now, that's the way kingdoms were built. Kingdoms were built by sword, by military power. And there are some even today who are promoting a, a kind of implementing of the sword to advance the kingdom of God. That is a misunderstanding of the kingdom. And this is what makes what Jesus says here and really in all of these parables in chapter 13 so striking. He says, behold, a sower went out to sow. That's how you build a kingdom? He turns to agricultural language, not military language. Now, we know the spiritual life involves a battle, and there is military language used in the Scripture, but here we're talking about the building of this kingdom. This is the means by which the kingdom of heaven has grown and will continue to grow until the end of this age. And these parables unlock this idea to us. Keep in mind that 
Parables are real life events or stories that correspond to spiritual truth, but they do not. And, and, and as we read the parables, as we think through the parables, and you can really stumble at this point, but do not expect every detail to represent a particular truth. And do not expect every aspect of truth to be addressed in a parable. That's not the purpose of a parable. Or what is addressed to be a perfect analogy of truth. There is a general truth that is being taught. And we'll see that in our passage this morning with supporting truths related to the main point. That's the idea. That's the point purpose of a parable. So here we have the parable of the sower. Oh, that's what it's called. Why do we call it the parable of the sower? There are those today who refer, refer to it as the parable of the soils. I'm going to tell you, frankly, as I read and read and read the parable on my own, I began to wonder. In fact, I, I thought about changing the title to parable of the soils. Because that seemed to be the point of emphasis until I simply listened to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Hear the parable of the sower. So I didn't even have to debate the issue. This is a parable of the sower. Now certainly, the various soils and what they represent are significant. But it seems that Jesus is especially concerned to encourage the sower. The sower of seed. Thus, this parable helps sowers. Helps sowers stay faithful and focused upon our responsibility as sowers when the results are discouraging. Now, recount the parable of the sower in verses 3 through 8, just very briefly. Those hearing Jesus that day were very familiar with agriculture. They would have locked in very, very closely to what they understood what Jesus was saying. It wasn't that every every detail in there represented was representative of in every field where seed was sown, etc. But the, these were the ideas generally that were understood in the sowing of seed. They could no doubt picture what he was saying. A sower, perhaps with a basket or perhaps with a, a bag of seed. You may have seen pictures representing a sower of seed. And perhaps he used both hands. Perhaps he used one hand. There's different ways in which it was done. But he, there weren't farming. There was no farming equipment that did it. He, the sower sowed the seed, scattered the seed. As he walked in his field. Verse 4, Jesus said, As he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured. So he's walking along, he's sowing the seed. And, and, and I don't think the sower is intending to sow on the bad ground. I, I don't think that's his goal. The goal of a sower is to find the good ground, to sow on the good ground. But, but the picture is, is that as he sows, as his intention is the good ground, the seed falls on other places as well. 
wayside was the path that the farmers took. They traveled from field to field on a path. In fact, it also was the path that people traveled from village to village, from place to place. Back in chapter 12 and verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain, through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So they traveled through these fields of grain. It was a pathway, a wayside, as the New King James calls it. It was beaten down. It was hard. And what happens is the seed fell upon that ground. It didn't penetrate the ground. The birds came quickly as they were hungry. And they devoured them, it says. That's a, a very descriptive word. And that's what happens. They, they eagerly took those seeds and, and ate them. They were gone. No possibility of impact. Gone. Verses 5 and 6, Jesus speaks of the stony places. There was some of the seed fell on the stony places. This isn't ground that had stones in them. This was this was a ground that covered a layer of stone. Some say it was limestone. I don't know, but I do know that it was a it was a shallow depth of soil or earth ground over rock. And the. The plants, as Jesus said, sprang up immediately, sprang up quickly, but they sprang up, but not down. There was no depth. There was no possibility for them to survive. So when the sun was up, scorched, no water, they had no root, they withered away. Have you ever seen a plant like that? I mean, I think every garden I've ever tried to plant down here, well, I don't know if it was stony ground, but it wasn't good. Something was wrong. As I, you know, I, it'd come up real nice and I'd get all excited, but there would be no fruit. No fruit. So I, you know, it's hard for me to. Anyway, I'll just leave that one alone. Then there's verse seven. There was seed that fell among thorns. This is soil that wasn't clean. It was still infested with the wild roots. And those wild roots sprang up and choked. Whatever did come forth, choked it out. The result being no fruit. And then verse 8, the good ground. That's the cultivated ground. That's the clean soil. That's, that's where the sower's aiming. This is where you can hear a parable kind of breaks down. Because for us, we, we don't know uh, by our sight what corresponds when it comes to human beings, which, you know, what ground exists in the people that we're sowing the seed to. So the parable breaks down if you're trying to draw an exact analogy, but the, but the principle remains. We understand what Jesus is saying. And in case we don't understand what he's saying, he's going to help us out. From verses 18 through 23, he continues then with the explanation. He wants us to hear it. He wants us to hear with understanding. He wants, to, wants us to understand what is being said. He wants, to under, wants us to understand the nature of his kingdom and our part in that kingdom as sowers. And so the sower represents anyone who is proclaiming the word of the kingdom. Now, some people have said that the sower here is Jesus. Because the next parable clearly says the sower is Jesus but there's also another sower, it's the devil. 
And we'll talk about that, but it's another, there's another point being made in the second parable. It's not the same point as the first parable. And so the sower here, I wouldn't exclude Jesus from being the sower in a sense, but this is anyone who is sowing the word of the kingdom, and Jesus certainly was doing that. What is the seed? The seed is the word of the kingdom. Luke calls it the word of God. It's interesting, each each gospel writer says something a little different. The word of the kingdom, the word of God, and then Mark says just simply the word. Which is really the message, the message of the gospel. The good news of all things pertaining to Jesus Christ, the king. The message of the kingdom of God. Now, the sower does not manufacture his own seed. There is one seed. In this parable, there aren't different seeds. There is one seed that is being sown. That's being delivered. It's the word of the gospel. It's the word which has been delivered by Jesus Christ and about Jesus Christ. It's the seed that Peter later refers to in First Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. I'll read it to you. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And Peter says, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And so like a farmer, the sower faithfully sows the gospel seed. And the results are dependent upon the condition of the soil. Of course, there are other factors. We know that. And if we were preaching simply a theological message, we might talk about all the other factors, but that's not the point. We want to get the point that Jesus is making here in this parable. And so in every example in the parable, there's nothing wrong with the seed and there's nothing wrong with the sower. There's something wrong with the soil. The soil is the issue. And the soil is the heart. He specifically says that in verse 19, where he says, Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So in the mind of the king of the kingdom, as he considers the responses of the multitudes to his message, and what his disciples then and later, even to our day, would encounter as the message was proclaimed, he really does encourage us by way of this parable that there will be varying results from our evangelistic ministry. In all four examples, they hear. Every single one of them hears. All four have contact with the Word. It is effectual only in the good soil. So wherever the gospel is being preached, we can expect what Jesus describes here. Let me suggest to you that it is very possible that every single soil that we'll look at here this morning is represented in this room. It's possible. 
But it is generally speaking possible, not possible, it is generally speaking represented wherever we go forth, sowing the seed, the word of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the three unproductive soils. They represent three kinds of hearers. Verse 19, Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so you hear the word of the kingdom, you hear it. You hear the gospel, you hear it, and does not understand it. Then the one, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. The wayside hearer is one with an unresponsive heart. He hears. But they're just words that he hears. There's no understanding. There's no engagement of the mind. There's no interest to pursue understanding. The message makes no sense. It sounds foolish. It's not comprehended. We run into this all the time when we're preaching the gospel, especially out in open public places. It's not that the person hears nothing. In fact, Jesus says, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that that which was sown in his heart. There's at least, it indicates that there's at least some level of engagement. But it made no immediate sense. Therefore, there's no deeper consideration. He does nothing with it. It just lies there. Perhaps the mind of this one is shut down by questions or competing ideas or philosophies. And we might say a lot of things about why it's so. Jesus doesn't get into that. It's just the case is such that he is unresponsive. For whatever reason, he is simply indifferent to what he hears. Now, Jesus may be describing the hard, impenitent heart Calloused by the traffic of sin and unbelief and resistance to every gospel advantage, like the Pharisees that he was engaging with. I mean, he uses similar language back up in verses 14 and 15. This idea of not understanding. Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you shall see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. There are those that are like that. Wherever the gospel is preached, I can tell you this, there is an enemy. And here, Jesus refers to him as the wicked, the wicked one. The other two gospel writers refer to him as, I think, the devil and Satan, if I recall correctly. Three different. I know there's three different descriptions, but it's clearly Satan's in view, the enemy of the kingdom. And he's actively involved, seeking to snatch away the word that is being proclaimed, the seed that is being sown. We'll say more about this in another message in the next parable. We'll, We'll see this, but. Wherever the gospel is preached, Satan's influence exists. 
That's one of the great burdens that we have when we take the gospel forth out there somewhere. We like to think that that wouldn't be the case in a place like this. But brethren, it is possible. It is possible. You notice how Jesus says it. When anyone hears. The idea of that phrase, when anyone hears, is not after the fact, later on, a day or two later. It's as the seed is being sown, you see. The birds are there to snatch it up, to devour it. While the Word is being preached, right now, right this very moment, as the Word is being preached. Like wild birds devouring the seed on hard, impenetrable ground, the wicked one steals away what is sown in this kind of hearer. So rather than press in by inquiry, rather than engaging your mind for further understanding, this hearer loses interest, checks out, is distracted, and the message is is ineffectual. And I'm very aware that this could be happening this morning. Is this you? Well, that's one Of the possibilities, Jesus goes on in verses 20 and 21, the stony ground here, that he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately He stumbles. The stony ground here is one with, someone has described it as an impulsive heart. An impulsive heart. This is one who engages with interest in what he hears. He doesn't immediately check out. In fact, he responds to what he's hearing. He And he responds quickly. And he responds emotionally. What he hears seems to make sense. And so he responds. He he makes a profession of faith, perhaps. He gets baptized. He joins the church. And there's excitement. Isn't there? I mean, think about the day of Pentecost. That there seemed to be an immediate response to the preaching of the Word. The Holy Spirit fell upon people. And, and so it is possible that there can be an immediate response. And joy associated with that immediate response. It's possible. But this kind of hearer, with this kind of hearer that Jesus has in view, there's a problem. And the problem is exposed when the going gets really difficult. A testing comes, and it always will. It always does. A testing comes. And the problem is, is it, is expressed in verse 21, yet he, yet, Jesus says, he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. No root in himself. There's, 
There's something wrong internally. There is no depth of the reality of the gospel in his soul. It's very superficial. There is no presence of the life of Christ in him. There's no power of the gospel. There's no faith that stands the test of trials. This particular hearer has nothing greater than his own strength and his own emotions to draw from when the sun of tribulation and persecution because of the word beats down upon him. And what's the result? Well, it says, Jesus says he endures for a while. He endures only for a while. And that's a problem, isn't it? Because Jesus says he that endures to the end. The same shall be saved. This, this one doesn't. This one endures only for a while. A season. Not in season and out of season. Only for a while. That in the face of pressure and resistance, because of the word that he had received, he stumbles. And that word stumble is has the idea of being offended. Some translate it falling away. I don't know that that's a, that, that may be the result, but, but the idea is he is stumbling over something. He is offended by something. Something is engaging inside of him in reference to the word that he received with joy, with great excitement and even anticipation, but something has happened that didn't meet his expect- expectation. The sun got hot. There were tribulations and persecutions that arose because of the word that he had received. Led him to turn away from Christ and his kingdom. And of course, we know such an one is, was never truly saved. This isn't a I was saved and now I'm not saved idea. And note the words immediately. Jesus uses it twice in verse 20 and 21. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And then in verse 21, when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He's offended. That seems to be a point of emphasis. There's an immediate emotional response to the gospel. And then there's an immediate offense, stumbling, and ultimately falling away. By the way, well, I'll, I'll save that thought for a moment. Come back to it. But when unexpected difficulty comes, this kind of hearer does not endure. You know, it's concerning when there's a quick, excited response I mean, I've been living this Christian life long enough and had enough experiences to where I, I, and I think you guys can agree with me, we don't want to not be excited when somebody professes faith in Christ. But do you feel yourself being somewhat guarded in your, in your mind? Especially if there's been no test. 
And, and this is one of the things that concerns me when I see somebody who is quick to respond. In other words, there's no, there's no struggle of soul that precedes the joy. I mean, they hear what sounds good and immediately, I want in the program. I want to follow Jesus. Well, has your soul been troubled at all about your condition before? I mean, do you, what, what, what's working in you? And, and, and then there's the other side of that. And you know, we've all experienced it. And there's some here in this room right now who are struggling, who haven't made that profession of faith. And all of us are wringing our hands. Not all of us. Some of us are wringing our hands. And we're saying, why don't they confess Christ? Why don't they come forth? But brethren, you don't want somebody to come forth too quickly. But at the same time, we don't want to present a, a false message. And it would be a false message to tell somebody, well, you need to wait till you feel deeply sorrowful enough to then come. That wouldn't be a true gospel message. So you see the tension that sometimes exists with us in our sowing of the seed. But brethren, remember, our responsibility is simply sowing the seed. Sowing the seed. We have no control over the soil. We have no control over the hearers. We sow the seed. But there are those who will quickly respond. And we don't immediately say, well, we can't accept that profession because that was too quick. No, that is not why Jesus is giving us this. The scriptures still say, believe and you will be saved. Is that, is that true? But I will say to you that believing is more than an emotional response. And so there are those who emotionally respond to the word preached, but finally conclude that the kingdom of heaven is not worth the trouble. Difficulties associated with the word are too much. The, 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 the cost is too great. The, the, the losses are too many. Here's a description of a true believer. The Thessalonians, Paul wrote to the Thessalonican church, 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. But I want you to note that, because this is important, lest someone stumble over the thing that's being said here, it is possible to stumble. It is possible to be offended. That very word is used in reference to Peter. It's possible to stumble like Peter and yet be restored. I heard the testimony. I I listened to the funeral message of Mary Dodgen and I heard John Dodgen's thoughts. These are thoughts of a man that is understanding the Scripture in the crucible, we might say. And I appreciated the thoughts that he gave and simply seeking to evaluate was his wife a true believer. 
And one of the things that stood out to me, well, it was the thing that stood out to me with the testimony of, of John, was that there was the evidence. The evidence. While there was a, the repeated dark seasons and difficulties, she never fell away. She always came back. She always was restored. And there were other things that were said of the evidence as there was fruit, as we'll mention here in a few moments. I'm saying this because we all know there are people who have become offended, especially in the face of tribulation or persecution because of the Word. And they may stumble like Peter, but that's not the end of the story. In other words, it doesn't mean they're sealed in that place. If there is repentance and a restoration, they are in the kingdom, you see. They're in the kingdom. There's another kind of here. Jesus gives us in verse 22. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. The thorny ground hearer. What is the thorny ground hearer? This is one who is preoccupied. He has a a heart that is impure, a heart that's divided. And when you have a divided heart, at some point, the real hearts, the, the real master, the real Lord, uh, the real love is going to, to come forth. And Jesus taught us this in the Sermon on the Mount. But this kind of hearer Here's the word. It's received at some level, but it has no fruitful impact. And why is that? It's because the heart or the will, the affection is never won over, never fully won over. This hearer never really hears, he never really sees the eternal realities of the kingdom of heaven. And so, what happens? Well, Jesus says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the Word. Luke adds, the desires for other things choke the Word. The cares... The angst, the anxieties that exist in relationship to this present world and the deceitfulness, the deception of riches, again, related to this present world and the desires, as Luke adds, for other things. In other words, there is a not, there is no heart truly for the king and for his kingdom. This is a a heart that cannot do as Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. He, He can't. Why can't He do that? Because His heart is bound up with the things, with the cares, with the pursuits of this world and its riches. 
Paul wrote to Timothy, First Timothy 6 and verse 9 says, but those who desire to be rich. Think about that. Why isn't the Word of God having an impact upon you? You're a hearer. Could it be? Could it be that this is what's going on? There, there's this competing interest in your heart. And the Word that has been given to you, the Word that you have received, and that you have engaged with at some level, is being choked out by a greater desire, a greater love, a greater pursuit. The things of this world, the riches of this world, the cares of this world. So Jesus says those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. First Timothy 6 and verse 9 is dangerous. There's a reason why Jesus said not many rich And so when Jesus says to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? That's not where we're supposed to be engaged in our thought. That's not supposed to occupy our life. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. But this hearer that Jesus has in mind is one that the very words of the kingdom, the very words of the gospel are choked out. Lest anyone is confused, let me just say that the world and the riches And other things are not the problem. The problem is inside of you. It's your heart. It's your devotion. It's what's reigning inside of you. It's it's what love drives you. These things just simply expose the heart. You see, this particular hearer is not a doer. He's a hearer of the Word, but he's not a doer of the Word. Jesus says... In verse 22, and he becomes unfruitful. There is no fruit, bears no fruit of one who is really impacted by the power of the gospel. But there is another ground here quickly. It's the good ground. The good ground. I'm thankful for this. Jesus saves it for last. Uh, Lest we all fall into some sort of despair, I suppose, not only in the gospel ministry, but even in our own selves. Is there any hope for any of us? And yes, there is, because there is good ground. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. And indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. This is. The good ground here represents the prepared, 
responsive heart of a true believer. And we know from other scriptures that it's God, it's the Holy Spirit who does the cultivating, who prepares the heart. We understand that Jesus isn't getting into that here. He's just stating the fact these are the kinds of grounds, the the, the kinds of soil ground that you're going to encounter as you sow the seed. And this particular one hears the word. And we ought to be excited when we, when we run across folks who at least hear the word. That ought to excite us. But this one goes further than that. He understands, it says. And this seems to be a critical point. He began in verse 19, not understand. And here in verse 23, he concludes with, this one does understand. In other words, the, the words that are spoken, the seed that is sown, representing the word of the words of the gospel of the kingdom, are more than simply words. It may be helpful to hear how Paul expresses it in First Thessalonians two, verse thirteen. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard. You can't believe unless you hear. What you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also works in you effectually. He effectively, powerfully works in you who believe. This is the good ground hearer. This is the one in whom the kingdom of God comes. The power of God, the rule of God is established. It's not just words. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. And he goes on, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And what is this? Well, this is the Spirit-enabled understanding of that Word that produces fruit from a heart that is changed by the Word of the Gospel that is heard in faith. And we could go to other Scriptures and like Hebrews chapter 4, the gospel that was preached didn't have an effect because it wasn't heard in faith. It wasn't received in faith. Uh, that's something that the Spirit of God is working in you. Uh, not just in you, but in those to whom we preach, you see. That's why we pray. Uh, we don't just sow. We're praying. Calling upon our God to bless the sowing of the seed. Farmers do this, by the way. I mean, literal farmers do this. I mean, those who have a knowledge of God, who have some God consciousness about, they know they are dependent upon God for that seed springing forth. They know that. Well, I know there are atheistic farmers probably, but, but they know they can't make that, that seed grow. They know that. But when the Holy Spirit attends the seed that is sown, there's, a, there's an inner transformation by the germinated seed of the gospel. And what is it that distinguishes this good ground hearer from all other hearers? It is really simply this, fruit. It is fruit. 
It's not how they immediately respond. It's not their, even, even the outward hearing. It's not how many messages, messages they've downloaded. It's not how many conversations they've had with folks. It's not, it's not even how much interest they've, they've shown in church going and whatever. It's, that's not the issue. The issue is fruit. And what is this fruit? Well, it's really all that is represented in the Scriptures about what a follower of Christ looks like. Really? Beginning with the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the closest passage to this where Jesus unpacks what those who are in His kingdom look like. Both their character, their inner being, which we heard last Wednesday night. Really? Uh, uh, you remember? Uh, blessed are those who, who are poor in spirit and the, that mourn. And, and there, there's a result from that that comes to us. There, there is a character change and there are works that come forth from our lives that fit the gospel of the kingdom. There, there's a, there's fruit. The Bible calls it fruit. There's the fruit of the spirit. There's, there's this love and joy and peace and long suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance and, and, and there are, the Bible even calls good works fruit in Colossians 1 and verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Those are fruits. Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, a good ground hearer has fruit coming forth from his life. But not all produce the same amount of fruit, do they? I'm thankful that Jesus says what He says here. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I'm thankful for that. If He hadn't said that, we'd we'd be comparing ourselves among ourselves so much even more than we do. And you ain't where I am, so therefore you ain't in kind of a thing, you know. You ain't bearing what I'm bearing. You're not producing as much as I'm producing. I, I had a... A stalk of grapes the other day, and I like to eat grapes. My wife says I, I sound so loud when I eat grapes, but I say, well, they have tough skins. I can't help it. But, it, you know, so I'm eating these grapes, and, you know, most of them are really plump, and, but then there's this little bitty one. You ever seen those little bitty things? And you think, that's not even worth eating, but I went ahead and ate it. It tasted like a grape. <laughs> Do you get the point? It wasn't impressive. I was inclined to just throw it away. Jesus doesn't throw us away. He said, I'm not where I, I'm not where I, I'm not even sure that I'm one of these, this good ground here because I don't see as much fruit. My, is there any fruit in your life? Is there any evidence? They said, well, I don't see it. Why don't you ask somebody else? We're not the best judges of ourselves anyway. Do you have any heart for Christ? And are you drawn to Him? Are you attracted to Him? When you hear the Gospel preached, is there anything in you? Anything in you? I'm not saying, do you get all excited like your neighbor? I'm saying, is there anything in you? It's your heart. It's your ground. It's you. It's not your neighbor. You see? 
But there are difference, differences. There, and why the difference? And Jesus doesn't really tell us directly, does he? He just says, some 100, some 60, some 30. I read some people that said, we should all shoot for 100. Well, I, I, I'm okay with saying that, but that could also get very discouraging, couldn't it? If we're living our lives aiming for this hundredfold reproduction of fruit and we're coming up short, and that's, that could be, lead you to despondency. Why the difference? Well, there's different gifts, aren't there? There's different circumstances. I go back to someone, like I mentioned earlier, without using names, I'm not going to reproduce names here. But, can I take myself? I'll just use myself. I mean, I don't have a photographic memory, for example. And there are those men, those preachers who preach as if they've read every they can remember every verse in the book and every book that they've read about the book. And they and they just flow. They don't even look at a stitch of notes. They just flow. And I'm thinking, wow. I wasn't given that. Do they have more fruit than I have? I don't know. I'm gonna you know who the fruit inspector is? Yeah. So I'm not gonna compare myself with that person. At least I'm going to try not to. And, and what about that person who, who seems to always, they, they come up for air and they go back down. They come up for air and they go back down. They come up and you know there are people even among us that seem to constantly struggle. Well, they're not a good ground here. If they were a good ground here, they'd be beaming with joy like I am. Oh, really? Oh, really? We need to be careful. We're different. We're different, but if we're a good ground hearer, there is something in us. There's an understanding of this gospel that has affected us. There's a faith in us that moves us forward, even in those seasons where it's so dark we cannot see where the next step is taking us. But we know it's the right step because Jesus said, that's the way I want you to. Move. That's where, that's where I want you to go. And so we, we go. We take the step. But there is also individual cultivation of our hearts, isn't it? Isn't there? And so there's that continual work of the Spirit in relationship to the Word. And did you hear me? I said in relation to the Word. The voice of God comes to us through the Word. And so, but there are... Listen, whatever you make of this, of all of the details of this parable, I see something in verse 22 that at least applies to good ground hearers. And it's this, that the word can get choked. Not completely, not totally, but it can be choked to some degree by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. It can enter in and even unbelief. And this is why Hebrews chapter 3 warns us against this evil heart of unbelief. And the word can get stifled like we were talking about yesterday in our men's prayer time. A pump being choked. The water's coming through. but There's a restriction in there. And as soon as you remove the restriction, there's free flow. 
free flow. Now you can, you can go on limping along, getting water out of your faucet, but it could be so much better, so much more. Or in this particular case, more fruit. More fruit. As that Word is dwelling, dwelling in us richly. And the Spirit bringing forth fruit from that Word. So guard against Word-choking weeds and thorns. If you're a good ground hearer, your heart is responsive to the Gospel seed that is sown. And you will endure. You will. This parable is helpful. I've seen it in ways that I didn't really see it before. Sometimes, well, I'm not going to get into the reasons why. But this parable helps us to make sense of the varied responses to the preaching of the Gospel. Brethren, brethren, Aaron, you don't need a better seed when you go out. And we're tempted to try to find, you know, to try to twist the message a little bit. Make it more compatible to the age in which we live. No, you do not need, there is no better seed. You don't need a different seed. And you don't need to hide the seed with foolishness. No, proclaim the seed. The word of the kingdom of God. We don't need better tactics. We need to be faithful sowers of the seed that's given to us. Having these things fresh on my mind, it was so liberating yesterday to stand out on military and just... I mean, I feel a bit of a joy when I'm saying this. Just proclaim the Word. Because it wasn't just that I... It wasn't, it wasn't a careless proclaiming of the Word. A sower of seed is not careless. He wants it to fall on good ground, doesn't he? And the encouragement of my soul is... There's good ground. There's good ground. I don't know where it is. I don't know who they are. But I'm going to keep sowing. I think it was Spurgeon said, the more you sow, I know this is a human perspective, but the more you sow, the more potential there is for you to hit good ground with that seed. And fruit to come forth. So don't be discouraged. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. And when there is a response... From some, from a good ground responder, from a good ground hearer, you'll know it. It'll be evident. Time will prove genuine faith that is responding to the word. But let me just close with this note. I'll be done. If you are professing faith in Christ, but there's no fruit of the life of Christ in your life, there are some people who have actually Said so much as all of these soils can represent believers. But I'm going to say to you on the authority of God's Word, if there is no fruit of the life of Christ in your life, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived simply because you have heard the Word. Do not be deceived simply because you have made some sort of superficial, even excited, joyful response to that Word. Do not be deceived. If there is no fruit in your life, you need to be born again by the living Word. And I don't say that despondently. I say that with encouragement. You need to be born again. And the living Word can give you life. Amen.
Let's pray.